Welcome to Curate the Future, the podcast to help ambitious multi-passionates design and launch their new path. Insights and interviews with professional women who have changed careers, started businesses, and conquered their inner roadblocks along the way. Inspiration and guidance to help you get clear on your dreams and get the confidence to go for it. My name is Sumeya, and let's get to it. Hey, listeners. Today, we're chatting with Jacqueline Dacanay. She is a digital marketing and brand consultant and the founder of The Art of Fate, which is an online platform for shopping and discovering women-owned brands. And Jacqueline and I actually met at a class at General Assembly that I was taking. She was the instructor, and we got to chatting, and it turned out she has really carved a cool path for herself, and I thought it would be great to have her on. So hey, Jacqueline, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat. Me too. Yeah. So what's your story? How did you come to be doing what you do today? Yeah. So it's been kind of like an interesting journey for me. Uh, I went to school for fashion marketing and spent the first five years of my career working in fashion sales. So between LA and New York. After that career, I kind of just reached a point where I think a lot of women come where they're just burned out and looking for something more, kind of like that next step in their career. And that point came to me with full clarity and I ended up leaving New York and uh, moved back in with my parents. I moved back to my hometown where I grew up in Rhode Island. And from there, uh, I kind of just came up with this idea. I still wanted to be in fashion and I wanted to basically create an online platform, a brand that focused on just really amazing, emerging, like innovative products that were made by women. And I kind of just like started building that out of my parents' basement and did everything on my own. So the photography, the website, you know, I started doing in-person events and like networking around the city. Uh, So you learn a lot of different skill sets, like in the process of trying to build a business. But while I was doing that, I was also working. So I was still in fashion. I was still in management. And I did that for about two years. Uh, I ended up moving out to Boston, and this was about you know two and a half years ago. And uh, I was still continuing to build the art of fate. And while I was doing that, I took a number of different roles and jobs. I started working as a manager at a spa in Boston, who coincidentally is now one of my biggest clients. And you know, I've learned a lot along the way about like my own skill set and and how I can contribute to the entrepreneurial community. And um, entire journey and process has allowed me to build a freelance career for myself. So that's exactly what I do now. In addition to still growing the art of fate, I work full time as a freelance uh, digital marketing consultant. How did you get the idea for the art of fate? Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. So I've always been in fashion. I since I grew up has have always loved fashion. So you know, naturally I wanted to go to a fashion city. So I moved to LA and went to school there. And then I moved to New York and started working for, uh, which is now um, closed actually, Henry Bendel. And what made the, what separated the New York store from the LA store, because the New York store has been there the longest, it's the flagship store, is we would have an, an event every year called the Open Sea event. And the buyer's uh, corporate office was just two blocks away on 54th Street. I mean, we were on 56. So people and designers from all around the world would come lined up on 56th Street uh, just to have, you know, a few minutes to pitch their collections to our buyers. So it was kind of like, in a way, just like your, your it could be your big break. And it was just this really exciting event that we did. And for a lot of those designers that waited, they actually got to sell their collections in the store and I got to meet them 
and sell their products. And you can imagine like how exciting that is knowing our clientele. We have celebrity clients, people that come from all around the world to shop in this store. So that was so exciting for me to meet these women and just other designers um, and learn their stories and, and be able to sell their products and see like how much of a huge impact that was for their careers and to see just like that they're normal people like us that just worked really hard to get where they are. I think that that is kind of what really drove that inspiration for me. Like there must be a lot of other designers out there that could use this opportunity that maybe they can't get in Henry Bendel, but imagine if we could build this, you know, on a, on an online platform where you can actually vote, you know, with your dollars and be able to support brands that are aligned with your values and just products that you love that are like emerging on the market. Oh, it's always fun to hear where ideas come from. And, and okay, so you had this idea and then what, did you move on it quickly? Were you scared? Did you think about it for a long time? What, what was going through your head right before you decided to go for it? Yeah, uh, the Art of Fate, by the way, is still very much like a startup. So, you know, it's something that I've been passionate about and the business itself has really evolved over time. So um, on my, like when I was getting ready to leave Henry Bendel, it was really at a, a phase where like I was searching very deeply for something more meaningful and that was aligned with my values. So that is kind of what pushed me over the edge to be like, all right, I'm leaving New York because that was a really big deal for me. Uh, I'm, it's one of the best decisions I ever made. And um, yeah, it's it's really like the hardest decision, I think, is the one where you realize that you have to bet on yourself and like your own abilities. And there's never going to be a right time for it. And I think that if you are unhappy at, in a place in your life, and a lot of us reach this in our careers where we just like lack fulfillment and we're, we're looking for something deeper, the longer you wait, the more I think that you're going to not be able to, you know, manage it anymore. And you're just going to, if anything, basically just like jump over the cliff and just do it. And I think if you can get yourself like before you reach that point where you're, you know, walking out of a job. Um, if you can get yourself to plan out a little bit more and, and kind of sense that you're unhappy earlier on, you can plan better for it. And a lot of us, you know, don't take the time to do that. And I'm glad that I was able to obviously move back in with my parents, but that I sensed that unhappiness a little bit earlier on. I was able to leave the company on a more mutual, gratuitous yeah, way. Yeah, I think you're right about there being a sweet spot with the timing where if you leave it too long, you're likely to take more drastic action and then maybe paint yourself into a corner a little bit or have fewer options. And if you can catch it earlier at the point where you're like, okay, I know I'm not happy, something needs to change, but I can stick it out for a little while longer. That's a great time to start planting your seeds for what's next. Absolutely. Yeah. And then things just start coming into fruition, you know, slowly but surely. Like the Art of Fate, the idea for it came before I moved back to Rhode Island. So I already had the idea in my head. So it made me feel a little bit more confident knowing that I had somewhat of a plan when I moved back in with my parents because I didn't want to go there, you know, move back to my home state with no plan at all. Like I had a vision and I knew that I had a project that I wanted to build. And I was lucky enough that I was able to do that kind of with no strings. And my parents really gave me kind of the freedom to experiment and create. And I also was able to do this, you know, while maintaining my, my job and, and work. I was kind of like somewhere in the middle of like fear and excitement 
but just laser focused on the mission to build the business. It sounds like that focus was really key for you to get past that fear. Totally. Because it's like I had something that I knew I had to, to do and to work on. So it wasn't like I had a lot of time to feel sorry for myself or to kind of like dwell. Did I make the right decision or not? I was very focused. I just need to get to work. And it's hard to get past that fear when you don't have something that you're getting past it for, right? Because I think it's hard for people to get going when they want to confront that fear, but they don't have that vision that's pulling them forward. Absolutely. And the vision is, you know, it's kind of like this, it's, it's really just something that you're molding, you know, it's like you're still forming it. So it's not like I have a packaged business model or anything like that, but the vision evolves as you start working and building on it. So I think that just trusting in your gut and really that your vision, I think just trust that that process is going to evolve and, and you just have to follow it. Everyone thinks that they need a full map. You don't have to have it all figured out in the beginning. You really just got to start building as soon as possible. What do you think you need then in your experience? What were some of your first steps to bring this to life? Yeah, so I honestly, like, I had no idea what I was doing, really. And I took the opportunity to get everything that I needed. I took the last of my savings. So the Art of Fate, like what I initially started off with, because I needed a product to sell, was jewelry, because that's what I was really confident at selling when I was at um, Henry Bendel. So I was like, all right, so I need material, you know, like I need some mannequins that I can actually start designing the jewelry. I need to take some photography of the jewelry. I need to get the products out there. So I bought all my material. I would invite my mom's friends over to try the jewelry on, ask them their thoughts on it. I bought like a ton of books and like watched some videos on jewelry making. And I, I sold, you know, a ton of different products when I worked in New York. So I was pretty familiar with what I would need to brand myself. You know, you need product packaging, you need a website. So I made an Etsy store. That's what I first started out with. And I started looking at different events and like networking events around the city because I, I wanted to get out there and meet other entrepreneurs. I, I kind of allowed everything to happen naturally. I didn't look online for like a checklist of what you need as a new business or anything like that. Like I thought to myself, if I'm building a jewelry brand, what would I need? And once I started getting the products out there and like actually people buying it, that was the most exciting part. Cause I'm like, wow, I created something that people are actually interested in. That for me was really exciting. So I had never really done that before. Oh, so this started out as you making your own product, huh? And so then how did you get it past the stage of checking it out with people that you know and getting their feedback and taking it out to a broader audience? Yeah. So uh, initially it's, it's funny because I'm, I didn't really ever consider myself as a designer or anything like that. So the, the jewelry that I was making in the beginning was very New York. And I realized very quickly after getting responses from my mom's friends, like I was making these extravagant body chains and like headdresses and, and hand chains. And I'm like, okay, this is not the right market for this. <laughs> I went back to the drawing board and I was like, all right, what about like beaded bracelets? I love stones. I love semi-precious stones and like anyone can wear a bracelet and you can customize it. And that was the accessory that stuck. And I was like, all right, I want to get these out there. So I started doing events kind of like the artisan fleas and like markets where you can buy stuff made by local designers. I through that coupled with all the networking events I was going to was actually introduced to some local boutique owners and 
I was able to bring my collection kind of like you did in the old times where you literally just like show up. People would show up with a trunk. I would just show up with all my bracelets. And, um, you know, I didn't really have, you know, like a line sheet or anything like that. I was kind of just like, all right, I didn't know what to negotiate at that point. So I think it was exciting because again, I'd never done it before and it was, it was a new opportunity, but looking back, I wish that I had done more research early on so that I could negotiate better for myself because it's definitely hard. I realize now I have so much empathy and understanding of how difficult it is to make it as a designer because a lot of us are really not able to monetize it well because we can't negotiate better just agreements for how we were paid. Hmm. And did you get help with that or did you get better at it over the years? How do you feel now about the business side of things compared to the creative? I think my, with time, like I definitely gained more confidence and just started running the numbers. And when you're looking at your net profit and what the stores are making and then what you're making, and especially at that point where I was actually putting my labor into everything and doing like all the photography and the website and like all of that work, you realize very quickly that the margins are really, really small. So now that the art of fate we, I built the platform where I'm actually working with artists. I have decided on a model that works for everyone because we pretty much drop ship all of our products. So for me, it's a fair way where there's little risk on, on me financially. And also there's very, there's no risk for the artist or the designer. They basically will get paid based on products actually being sold rather than me having to buy their products at wholesale where they're making less money. And, and then I have all of this excess inventory that I have to hold where I have nowhere to put it. <laughs> I realize now that I'm grateful that I started off as the designer person in the beginning. And now that I'm actually like working almost as a buyer with designers, I totally understand where they're coming from. And I want to make sure that it's always fair and that designers are paid exactly what they deserve. Definitely, definitely. I like hearing about how you're figuring it out as you go. So it turns out to be not scalable for you to be the designer. And instead, you're going to work with other designers, which is a pretty big change in model. And so how did you get the first people on board? We basically took a, a, a few different steps. So I started off making the jewelry at one point, and then I met someone who was kind of like a jewelry distributor in my home state, and he basically introduced me to Deadstock jewelry. So this is the same same kind of idea as Deadstock fabric and like basically overruns of designs. So the next step after I started making the jewelry is I realized that I didn't really want to make jewelry was I started buying jewelry basically like at wholesale that was overrun. So like designer jewelry, really good quality, very on par with what I was selling in New York. So I started, that was my next step with the business. And then from there, when people started actually buying it and like responding well to it, I was like, okay, so maybe we can introduce other brands now. So we started experimenting with outside of accessories. So we were like, all right, so if we're going to test this model. Why don't we do something kind of like a subscription box? Because subscription boxes at that time were sprouting and we're getting, gaining popularity. But what I thought was missing in the market was there was nothing really on like a smaller local level. Everything was kind of like Birchbox and like all those big brands. But I'm like, what if we create something really small and it was more thoughtfully curated? 
and that featured local brands from like around Rhode Island where I was. So when you're doing all these events like artisan fleas markets and, and you're in boutiques, naturally you start meeting other entrepreneurs and like other makers. So I started doing that. And there were a lot actually like in Providence, which was super exciting. And I started asking them like, we're working on these, the subscription box idea. Like the, the box was very small. It's, it wasn't like FabFitFun or anything like that. It was really tiny. So we could only fit small sample size products in it. So the idea was to curate a box that featured accessories and clean beauty and wellness. Cause these are things that are all really important to me. I would only put things and sell things that I would wear for myself. So we wanted it to be completely personalized to the subscriber. So we had our first brand, I believe was a, it was a clean beauty brand. It was like natural kind of witch hazel toners um, that a friend of mine made who is a holistic health practitioner. So we started putting those products in and it was just by asking, honestly, she gave them to us for free and um, we created all the materials. So we have a little card that the subscriber would get with their name on it. So it was printed with their name on it and it was like a little kind of like an editor's letter. Like when you're opening a magazine, I would write in the beginning that had theme every month that they would receive their box. And then in the back, we just have a breakdown of all the stories about all the products that were in the box. The subscriber would have to fill out a survey so that we would know what to put in it. What kind of products do you love? What's your style? Are you like someone who's more minimal? Are you someone who loves really like glam and like dressing up? So I would curate all of the boxes with all of the data that we were collecting from the surveys. And that lasted for like, I want to say like almost a year, but I realized very quickly that like it was taking me so long to write all and type out all of the little, I was like, oh my God, I think the most, we didn't really gain like that many subscribers where I couldn't manage it, but I realized very quickly, like this is not a scalable idea because I cannot write different messages and everything for every single subscriber. It was taking me like two hours per box. So I loved the concept. That was our first introduction to see if people were open to our brand carrying other brands and they were, and it was exciting. And, and I loved it because I got to meet all of these other makers. But that was the entry point for us, basically asking our customers for permission. And what happened next? Because it turned out to be not scalable for you to be the designer. And so you try subscription boxes and that turns out not to be scalable. So what was next? And and also, what made you keep going at each pivot? Because it would be really easy to say, I had the subscription box idea. It didn't work out. Forget it. Forget the whole thing. What makes you keep going to find the next iteration? Uh, I just, I am very just like relentless, I guess. I am super passionate about this idea. I've never once considered, you know, I've taken breaks with the business. And I, I think that I'm taking that right now because my marketing career is is very demanding. And I can only allocate so much time to each. And my priority is really obviously like on my marketing business right now, but I never have once ever considered throwing in the towel on the art of fate. I've invested so much time and have a lot of other women that I have worked with that have inspired me to continue and the community that we've built. I realize how much control you have as a founder that at any time you can choose to quit, you know, and, and then the business is done because you're not steering the wheel anymore. And for me, it's like, I, I could never do that. I love what we've done. And I think that there's just so much potential to build off of that. You know, we've gone through an accelerator program this year and 
And that's allowed me to build the marketplace model, which is a scalable model. I've been searching for something that would actually be able to scale for years. And it took me doing all those experiments with buying jewelry at wholesale, launching a subscription box, testing out brands, finding out which brands are the right fit for us, which ones aren't, what are the price points our customers are willing to pay for our products. There's so many questions that you search for in, in growing a business. And I think that I'm still in search of a lot of unanswered questions. And the ideas are definitely like floating around. Just how can we grow and make this bigger than just a place to shop. It sounds like you have a bigger vision in mind. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Like I, I don't want to basically like put something out there that already exists. We really want to continue to innovate and just to take creative risks and really just to figure out how we can measure impact for women-owned businesses. When you look back, what would you say was your most vulnerable moment? Oh, there's been so many. The <laughs> One of, I think the most vulnerable was probably when, you know, I almost left um, one of my jobs on really bad terms. And I think that the, the management culture at the business was just very top down and it was very like micromanaging kind of style. And I don't thrive in that kind of environment. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs would say the same. So I actually had put in my resignation uh, because of that. And when I did that, the vice president of the company who, you know, I consider one of my biggest mentors even today, asked me to have a conversation with her about it. And I did. And we were actually able to salvage our relationship from me working with the company to me becoming a contractor for the business and only exclusively doing their marketing. So it just goes to show that that was a vulnerable point for me because first of all, it was very impulsive. Again, talking about earlier, if you start seeing your unhappiness, planning that out, I kind of waited too long and ended up putting in my resignation impulsively, but I wouldn't recommend anyone do that. It was obviously like a little irresponsible of a decision, but I was that unhappy that I just, I refused to stay. But on a positive note, it ended up working out for me because that was the that was the beginning of my freelance career. That was my first client. That worked out. It worked out. But you're right. There is that timing piece. And that brings us nicely to the other thing that you do, which is your own freelance business. So how did you from there start getting more clients? Yeah. So while I was working at this business, I was still building the art of fate on the side. And I decided that I wanted to like start getting, getting back into making jewelry at that point because I was selling a lot of jewelry that was already finished. So I started taking like ring making classes and earring design classes. And I, I saw there was a class that was um, happening at Artisan's Asylum in Somerville. And I took a, an earring making class there. And it was like metal smithing and it was really fun. And I started looking around the space and I was like, oh my God, there's so many different makers here. There's woodworkers, there's robotics, people from MIT engineers that it was such an awesome space that I've never seen before and I started networking with some of the members and and asking them what are you doing to like market your products are these sold online are you in stores and a lot of them I, I started noticing were like oh we don't I don't really know how to do that I don't know how to do social media and I started asking well if I taught a class here because I saw they have other classes would you take it and almost everyone said yes so I had never taught a class before, by the way, at this point ever. 
I got in contact with their education manager and I was just like, I've asked some of your members if anyone would be interested in a social media marketing class, like a one or two hour workshop. And I think that I put something together and they were very gracious and were like, okay, like when can you get us the material? And I literally just put together a PowerPoint with everything that I use to build the art of fate, all my strategies that I use. And we launched the class within like a month. So that was the introduction to me as an instructor and through a lot of time and networking and, and me building my reputation in the Boston industry and, and now being able to teach at General Assembly, I've actually had an amazing network of referrals that have come to me that way. This is so cool hearing how everything just weaves together for you and one thing built off of another in a way that you wouldn't have been able to predict, right? And I think that's really helpful to hear because we we feel like we need to have a grand plan and and it's just great to hear stories where you know you were making opportunities happen for sure and that led to just different things working out now you've got a really cool portfolio situation yeah i definitely still don't have it all figured out and it's still definitely a challenge every day i'm working against a lot of people that are more qualified than me that have bachelor degrees and have been doing this a lot longer than i have so I'm definitely at a place where like, I respect everyone's journey and I realize that mine is a lot less traditional and I am very much okay with that. And what would you say to somebody who wants to go carve their own path like you have? I would definitely say, number one, you're not alone. There's a, a lot of people out there that find fulfillment with their careers and then just reach a point where they feel like they've plateaued and, and are unhappy. So number one, know that you're not alone. Try to really lean in internally and ask yourself, what do you really enjoy doing? If you really break it down, you can usually get a grasp of something. You don't have to have like a clear cut hobby or a trade that you're trying to develop, but what really brings you the most joy? Like when are you the most happy? If you just ask yourself that simple kind of question, maybe it's like when you're helping others, you know, maybe it's when you're uh, connected to your community. It could be as simple as that. And then from there, really just getting out and doing some different things, you know, getting out into your community, going to different events, meeting different people. I definitely believe that the people that I've met along my journey have impacted my career in some way. They've shaped it or they've inspired something within me to try that I never would have considered before. So I would say don't don't feel like you have to have everything figured out. Allow yourself the freedom to experiment and build connections with your community because you really never know. Someone could invite you to one event where you meet someone who's doing something really cool and they become your best friend. Like you really, life plans out on its own in, in really crazy ways. And I've learned to trust that. I've learned to trust the universe and that every decision that you make really is the right decision because it's leading you to a, the place that you're meant to be. And the last I could say is never underestimate your own abilities. We do this way too much where we feel like we're not qualified for things. I can't tell you, just observe my journey and, and realize, you know, I had everything working against me. I grew up very much in a small town with a single teenage mom if you look at the trajectory of my life, you would never think that I would be able to have built the career that I have, but I've always believed in my ability and I've never doubted that. And I think that that has carried me through. So 
never think that you, you know, never doubt your potential. Like, yes, you can have to believe that. One of my favorite quotes is like, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. That's my final word of advice. Wise words. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. So where can people find you? Yeah, so um, you can follow me on Instagram, Jacqueline Dacone, or you can visit my website. It's just JacquelineDacone.com. And uh, you can check out my services, my portfolio, and chat. If you have any questions about digital marketing or branding, happy to connect. And I'm also on LinkedIn as well. So connect with you there. Thanks, Jacqueline. Thank you. I think it's awesome and inspiring how she's just going out there and making things happen. Thanks to everyone for listening. Come hang with me on Instagram at Curate the Future. And you can also come join the free group at facebook.com slash groups slash Curate the Future.